Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram. Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. So today we are talking about world pain and responding to the pain we feel in ourselves and around the world when we read the news and we read an update on the war in Ukraine or about the shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. And when we aren't directly affected by those things, we're not in those communities, but we feel the heartbreak and the terror and the anger. How do we keep our hearts open? I had resistance to doing this episode when you suggested it, Cheryl, Mm. which we can talk about more as we get into the episode. But I just said to you, I don't know that I really have anything meaningful to contribute. I was kind of nervous to even talk about this because it just feels so big and difficult and important. And you sent me the blog post that you were that you posted this past sunday and it was really helpful to me and i know it was really helpful to people who read it this past weekend and i'm wondering if you can share it with us now yes when the world's heart shatters again and again and again I find myself carrying the tears in the cups of my hands, palms upturned like a lotus flower floating on a lake. It's a serene image, much too serene for the horrors that continue to befall our world, that continue to drop like bombs through the medium of our screens, reminding us that, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, We are wed to one another. The mothers wailing in Texas, the fathers dead in Ukraine, they are us. 
They live in a shared story in our hearts, our singular human existence. When I hear her wailing, the grief rises up in me, and it feels like too much. It feels like it's going to swallow me, as if I am in an ocean and the water has subsumed me, now entering my lungs, now surrounding me bodily. Wednesday morning, I had a window of time and I went for a hike. I watched my fellow boulderites running up the hills. I don't run. I walk slowly enough to receive the goodness and grounding of the natural world. The iridescent green hills that flourish from our recent rains. The ancient mountains that rise up around me. I lean my forehead against Mother Tree, thinking about a blog listener who lives in New Zealand and shared that this is a regular practice among the people there. I wonder how different our planet might be if every single human made it a regular practice to lean their forehead against the trees and listen. I wonder about the shooter who was bullied in middle school for a speech impediment and his mother struggling with drug addiction. I wonder what happened to the father. I wonder what might have been if the boy in rage and pain had been taken into the wilderness to be guided by elders, to sit around a fire while he learned how to drum out his stories and channel his pain into song. I spent the morning in solitude and silence, knowing that my day still lived ahead of me. I would go to the grocery store. I would work. I would pick up my children Gratefully, blessedly, not taking for granted this most simple act, picking up my children at the end of their school day. The anguish enters again as I write that line and I breathe it in. But at some point, I must come back to the day. This is not denial. It is how it must be. Like all trauma work, We pendulate into the heart of the volcano, and then we swim back out into the marks that punctuate our daily lives. We allow ourselves to fall apart because we trust that we will put ourselves back together again. I texted my husband from my hike to say good morning and to tell him about the nightmares I had the night before about bombings. I let him into my anguish, and he caught me. And a few texts later, I said, in other news, we need more sweatpants for Asher. Some part of our hearts and brains says that the juxtaposition of anguish and mundanity feels irreconcilable and bizarre. But from what I understand about trauma work, and this applies to collective trauma as well, is that this pendulation between anguish and the ground of regular life allows us to drop into the depths of the pain, to allow our hearts to be seared by the hot lava and oceanic waters of grief because we know that we can come back to solid ground. This is how we allow ourselves to be guided into action by our heartbreak instead of being swallowed by it 
or becoming numb to it. I don't have answers for the pain of our world, but I know that we must stay open to it, to do our best not to harden or numb or look away for too long. I know that we need all hands on deck so that we can traverse what at times feels like an insurmountable mountain. But I believe in humanity. I believe that there is more good than evil in the world, more light than darkness. It seems that we must be pushed to our absolute edge before we rally the forces of change. This is true both individually and collectively. But once we decide to show up, take responsibility, and chart the compass in a new direction, real and necessary change can happen. May it be swift and may it be so. I read that blog post after you shared it with me, Cheryl. I read it at night and I went to bed and the next morning, instead of immediately doom scrolling, Mm -hmm. I got out of bed and I went to my back deck and I planted vegetables and herbs in a big pot. I had gone to the garden store a few days before and everything was just sitting on my back deck. Mm -hmm. And it helped me to slow down. And I was kind of hearing your words about the importance of the mundane, Mm -hmm. like the necessity and unavoidable, how you can't avoid the mundane even amongst horror and tragedy that you're reading about. And there was something so important about slowing down and being in the present moment and being a little bit more in my body Mm. with so much of the news lately. I want to sob and it's like stuck in my body. Mm. Maybe some tears will come out, but I feel like, like my body wants to weep and it's not coming out. Yes. We said before we started recording, you said, Cheryl, that you go kind of right to that heart space and I'm very much in the head space analyzing. Mm. And that morning, just getting into the dirt felt important in some way. Yes. I think it's part of what I'm here to do is help people keep their hearts open. And that's why I wrote the post. Well, the words they wrote, they came. And so I wrote them. And to me, it feels absolutely critical that we don't go too much into the head. And yet, like we were talking about earlier, I so appreciate the analytical space that you bring, right? That we need both, right? I found myself thinking about this 
section from a speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave in 1966. And, you know, many people quote him saying the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And Mm -hmm. that is a beautiful and brilliant quote. But in this particular speech that I'm thinking of, he said, I'm tired of marching, tired of marching for something that should have been mine at birth. Mm. I don't mind saying to you tonight that I'm tired of the tension surrounding our days. I don't mind saying to you tonight that I'm tired of living every day under the threat of death. I have no martyr complex. I want to live as long as anybody in this building tonight, and sometimes I begin to doubt whether I'm going to make it through. I must confess, I'm tired. I think sometimes that's like a piece of the story that people don't want to see or know or talk about. Mm -hmm. It's like we can say someone like Martin Luther King Jr., he was special. He was like a saint, you know? He was so noble, but he was also a man. He was a father. He was someone who loved life and loved his family and friends and wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And the children in that school wanted to live and their parents wanted them to live. And I just think it's important to acknowledge the, that piece of lamenting and Mm -hmm. weeping and raging and feeling that, you know, he said, (laughs) that the, the arc of the moral universe is long, long, long. And so that means there's a lot of death and suffering that's happening now and that will continue to happen. Mm. Like we had the shooting at the elementary school in Sandy Hook almost 10 years ago. Yes. So we can't just say, oh, this will be a turning point, you know? Yes. People are, are, are working and trying Um, But there are other people with so much power who are not, who are doing the opposite. So it's very appropriate to lament. Mm -hmm. I just think that's an important piece to acknowledge and allow because at least for me, I just noticed that the more I try to deny it or avoid it, the more that I I either get numb or I get paralyzed. But no matter what, I don't – I'm not able to move, really. Yes. I'm just not able to move. Yes, the paralysis. Mm-hmm. I love what you're sharing, Victoria, and especially the emphasis on the long and the tired – because I think people's hopelessness, like you're saying, Sandy Hook happened 10 years ago, and the number of shootings that are happening every day and that have been now circulating those lists of how many have happened since the beginning of the year. And it's so easy to feel despair and hopelessness and like it's never going to change, especially when there are countries in the world where this happened once and they passed laws and it's never happened again. It seems 
absurd that we can't make this happen faster. But to believe that it will never happen because it hasn't yet is, I think, where people fall into hopelessness and despair. And we forget history. We forget that, you know, barely a hundred years ago, women couldn't vote, you know, whenever, I don't know what that year was, but, um, you know, 20 years ago, gay marriage was illegal. So these massive changes that took a really, really, really long time. And we could say maybe didn't cause the death toll in human lives, but were devastating in other ways. So yes, we are allowed to lament and rage and weep and be tired. And it's an extraordinary quote that Martin Luther King Jr. was tired. He was tired. I'm tired of marching. I'm tired of marching for something that should have been mine at birth. So to be making room for whatever our emotional experience is, to be able to let it in, there's so much self-judgment that comes up for people around these topics. And primarily, I'm not doing enough, I think is the big one. Um, and I feel it too. It's so massive and it's so devastating. And there is the part in all of us that feels like, what, what else can I be doing? What else should I be doing? What else am I made to be doing? What is my obligation as a human? And those are all important questions for me and what I've seen in working deeply in the human psyche we can't even really begin to answer those questions if they're coming from shame and judgment and the mean voice, the critic, right? That the starting place is the open heart, right? The starting place is letting yourself feel the depth of devastation, right? To feel our interconnectedness, that the mother wailing is me, that the father dead is my husband, and that it's through our open hearts that we pierce through some of our illusions of separateness, that we remember our shared humanity. And if we could whittle it all down and simmer it all down, to one sentence, it's our illusion of separateness. It's our illusion that we are not all one human family and one globe and one species, human and non-human, tree and flower and bee. And every child is our child, that it's our forgetting, it's our amnesia. It's our conditioning against that, that allows any of this to happen. And so, yes, we need all hands on deck in whatever ways people are called. 
And it doesn't mean you have to serve in every way. It's the way you are called to serve. Yes, it resonates with me so strongly what you said about how shame keeps us stuck. And I think it keeps me swinging between, you know, letting myself off the hook too easily or drowning in Mm -hmm. the fear, the hopelessness, the shame, all Mm -hmm. of that. And I think what you're saying about taking care of ourselves on a personal level, being able to meet those things on a personal level allows us to better see how big it all is and then find our small part. Yes. Another great um, quote that came to my mind, Rabbi Tarfan, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. Another famous quote. good to me. (laughs) (laughs) It is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can't fix the whole world, right? We can't do it all by ourselves. We can't take on every cause, but we can't shirk responsibility either. Yeah. It's this interesting, interesting mixture of slowing down enough in your day-to-day life that you can then show up to respond to the urgency in the best way that we all can as individuals and collective communities and movements. Yes. There's another another rabbi, <laughs> wise rabbi, who marched with Martin Luther King Jr., Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Mm-hmm. He said, an individual dies when he ceases to be surprised. I am surprised every morning that I see the sunshine again. Mm-hmm. When I see an act of evil, I am not accommodated. I don't accommodate myself to the violence that goes on everywhere. I'm still surprised. That's why I'm against it, why I can hope against it. We must learn how to be surprised, not to adjust ourselves. I am the most maladjusted person in society. (laughs) The first Mm. time I heard that, I think maybe it was an episode of On Being with Krista Mm. Tippett. But I was like, yes, I feel very maladjusted too. Mm -hmm. And I was... I don't think he's talking about surprise in the intellectual sense because like Mm -hmm. anyone who's paying attention tragically knew that this was going to happen again because of our policies, because of our lack of appropriate response. Yes. That's part of the horror. But it's like a heart space surprise, I think. Yes. Yes. I love this quote so much. That being surprised means that our hearts are still open. It means that we haven't resigned ourselves to evil being the norm. It means that we can still grieve 
and wail and rage and believe that change is possible. He says, I'm still surprised. That's why I'm against it, why I can hope against it. Right? So being surprised is, the op- in this case, the way he's speaking of it is the opposite of being jaded. When you are open and staying open-hearted, acts of horror will always surprise you in this sense. And I love how he starts with the positive. I am surprised every morning that I see the sunshine again. He's like, he's not taking anything for granted. He's in that space of awe and gratitude for the blessings. And then also eyes wide open for the horrors. You know, I also had the privilege of editing the fourth season of a podcast called No Place Like Home. It's a podcast about climate change, and they also talk about mental health and spirituality. It's hosted by Marianne Hitt and Anna Jane Joyner. And they talked a lot about the role of grief and joy and kind of ambivalence around hope. Mm -hmm. And they had a really interesting interview with a a woman named Mary Anais Heglar, who spoke about how her, her parents and her grandparents as Black Americans were active in the civil rights movement. And they weren't really you know, she said her mother was a, was a child when Emmett Till was killed. That was another horrific murder of a child mm-hmm. because of racism. Mm. And she asked her mother, like, weren't you scared as an eight-year-old? And she said, no, we were angry. Mm-hmm. And she said they didn't go pour into the streets because they had hope. They poured into the streets because they were so angry And there was an urgency and no one hid it from them. Mm. But I've also heard a lot of people talk about the civil rights movement as fueled by love. You know, Mm. you're angry because you love. Mm. Yes. People are angry about climate change because they love this planet. Yes. And I think some of it is letting ourselves love this world and the people in our lives because I can kind of go to that avoidant place or that place of like, oh, you know, you hear about these things and you're like, I hate people. I hate, you know, and I go to that. I'm like, hate mm-hmm. what everything I hate. I hate guns. I mm-hmm. hate these politicians. Mm-hmm. I hate the person that did that. Mm-hmm. And all that anger is not just justified, but important because it fuels action. But there's also love. And sometimes it's actually harder to be like, this hurts so badly because I actually feel love. Mm. So that's why I think that open-heartedness that you're talking about is so important because movements and change aren't just motivated by, oh, those special people, those special noble people over there will take care of it or there will be spontaneous change or just anger. It's also fueled by love. Yes. And then this question of urgency and this question of 
What do I do? How do I serve? Am I doing enough? I'm hearing so much of this lately. And again, I think it's two-sided. It's like there's this pressure to show up in these huge ways. And then there's a soul calling to show up in the ways that we are called to show up. And I think it shows up, especially for highly sensitive people, as this sort of life purpose anxiety. It came up on one of the group calls today for one of my courses. Life purpose anxiety, right? Which is, you know, complicated because we so deeply, we know that we are each here bearing gifts that we need to be giving to the world. But there's a, there's a message these days, I think, especially in social media, that the gift has to be on a big, loud, public scale. That we forget the value of planting your garden of vegetables and herbs that next morning. And we forget the value of writing a poem and maybe sharing it with one other person. And we forget the value of sitting at a body of water and singing or weeping. And so there's this anguish inside, knowing the anguish that the world is in, knowing that we are here to show up and serve but then constantly devaluing, and I'm struggling with this too, is is whatever we're doing enough given the magnitude of the pain? And I recently came across such a beautiful passage. Um, We're in the the final week of a Jewish practice called Counting the Omer. It's a 49-day practice that connects from Passover to Shavuot, which is the receiving of the Torah, and it's seven weeks. Each of the weeks corresponds to a sphirot on the Kabbalah, on the Tree of Life. And this week is Gevor. It's the final sphirot, and it means sovereignty. People sometimes translate it as kingdom or queendom. And we had my monthly new moon group meeting here on Sunday, and one of my beloved moon sisters read this passage from accounting the Omer book that she has, which we can link to. And this is on Malchut, this final week. Reb Nachman writes that we are all charged with a particular sovereignty or Malchut. For some, it is as vast as an entire team or project or more. For others, it is limited to self-advocacy or maintaining their own health and well-being. In either case, malchut implies responsibility. So we are each responsible for something. Within that something, we are fully responsible. When that particular domain is thriving, that is an indication of the strength of our malchut.
heard reports about counselors traveling to Uvalde mm. and Starbucks baristas traveling. Someone said they, they were at a Starbucks. The barista asked, how are you doing? And she said she was from San Antonio and she came there to relieve, you know, a, another barista who was directly affected by this tragedy so that they could take time off. Mm. <laughs> so beautiful. So there are ways that people can show up. Yes. Yes. And I think that idea, again, of how you do anything is how you do everything. I don't always love like these sweeping, (laughs) you know, these sweeping grand statements. Mm -hmm. But that one comes back to me a lot because I do feel like when we are able to first notice and then perhaps learn different ways to relate to something like overwhelm Mm -hmm. or something like shame. And we tend that in our garden. I Mm. do think that that's important. Yes. Yes, it is. Even if we think, oh, I'm just kind of minding my business. You know, there are ways that we, that we can get in the way of change without even like being aware of it. Mm. Martin Luther King Jr. also talked about the white moderate being <laughs> someone he thought he could count on and then kind of learned he couldn't. And that's mm-hmm. not something that people would necessarily have thought about themselves. Mm. So mm. if we're cultivating cur- genuine curiosity, genuine open-heartedness in ourselves, that matters. Yes, it does. And we can't jump from zero to a hundred. We can't jump from like, you know, I have so much anxiety. I can't leave my house to like laying our bodies down at a protest probably, you know, but there are so many things in between. There are. And we can't jump to serving in a way that's not the way we're called to serve, right? Like I look at somebody like, um, mindful skater girl who I follow on Instagram, who I'm just in awe of what she does. She is an activist in the full definition of that word. And the way she shows up in with her own self and her own body and her own fundraising and politically and monetarily, it's inspiring. And it's not it's not my calling, right? And I have to trust that the way that I am called to show up is my domain that I've been charged with, is my queendom, right? And that it, and that it has, has value like what she's doing has value. I think I'm underlining and underscoring this piece around value because I am really wrestling with it. And even as I say this out loud, like, well, what I do is just as valuable, right? There's, there's, you can hear my, my question mark to my own self, right? I'm not looking for validation from anybody else, but there is this sense of, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? And I have to assume that even for her and for other activists who are on the front visible lines like that way, that kind of activism, I sort of wonder if she also struggles with, is it enough? Because we are only each one person, right? And I think part of the anguish is that we know 
none of this can be solved individually, right? It's, it's a collective global challenge that we are in, all of these challenges, whether it's climate change or guns, um, whatever it is, Ukraine, it's, it's global now. And so it's this, I think that, is it enough? It's almost like my own intrusive thought. I don't get a lot of intrusive thoughts, but it's, it could be on one level, a cover up for the magnitude of anguish, the, the awareness of how big and vast the problems are. And I do in my deepest self believe in humanity. I really do. And I absolutely believe that there is more good than evil and more light than darkness. But any highly sensitive person, any person who's even halfway awake, right? we cannot escape the anguish, right? that the place where we're in and our awareness of the global pain, the world pain, it's always been a painful world. There's always been separateness, illusions of separateness. There's always been war. There's always been massacre. There's always been famine, plagues. There's been a a lot of pain on this planet and always more goodness. And I think that's why people cling to that Martin Luther King Jr. quote, the first one about the moral arc of the universe because we have to try to see the whole picture. But, but I'm just sharing this piece around right? coming back to our one patch of earth, our calling, trusting in the enoughness at the, in that, and then continually going into the magnitude and dipping in right? and then coming back out and coming back into this moment and what is needed in this moment in our lives. And I think another part of feeling like, is it enough, is related to isolation and hyper-individualism. Something that Adrienne Murray Brown talks about in her book, Emergent Strategy, is how Western culture is often really focused on the charismatic leader who becomes the face of a particular movement. But there are so many people involved in that movement in so many different ways. And all of their contributions are important. Things like calling senators and voting in local elections, those are really important for legislative change. And, you know, if you if you get nervous calling up to order a pizza, then you might be nervous about calling your senator, but it's totally doable and and really helpful. I think even just being part of a community and engaging with your community is powerful because when you just feel like you're dangling out by yourself, everything is so abstract. But when you're kind of plugging in to the community around you, and you're following the lead of people who have been doing certain work for decades, and you have an intent to learn and to serve in whatever way you can at that particular time in your life, I think 
those people are benefited and are of benefit. And so that's something that I'm reflecting on more, identifying what communities am I already in? And are there small ways that I want to engage a little bit more? So there was one teacher who came to my mind this week, or another one, many came to my mind as I've been sharing, and another one who came to my mind was Lama Rod Owens. He's a black, queer, Buddhist teacher, Mm -hmm. and he has a book called Love and Rage, and Mm -hmm. I've, I haven't read his, any of his books yet, but I've watched and listened to different talks, and In a recent talk, he spoke about how hopelessness and despair are draining energies. But he says, hopelessness and despair teach us to live with more open-heartedness, to understand that we're not the only ones in the world who are experiencing really difficult emotions, and that opens the door to compassion. And he goes on to talk about how we can realize that we and other people around the world are experiencing difficult things. And we can say, may we all experience openness and liberation. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And I'd like to also close with these words by J.S. Park. Your grief is its own healing. Your anger is medicine. Your story is needed. Don't let anyone hide your tears. They're yours. Grieve angry. Grieve all you need. And then he writes, and J.S. Park is a chaplain. Many people are tired of angry think pieces against gun violence, but I am not. I believe much of it is valuable. It is needed. Our grief is its own healing, and it has always paved the way for change. If you need a break, take one. But lament, scream, weep, write your guts out. Everybody has their process. Write or share or petition or march or huddle or be alone or hike or build or wail or sing or nap or eat or rock or stretch or shout as loud as you want. (sighs) There are so many teachers Mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for them and grateful for you, Cheryl. You're one of my teachers too. Mm -hmm. As you are for me, Victoria. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for this community that we have grown together and the space that we can offer um, to our listeners to to process, to be to be however they are, this space of acceptance and compassion, and hopefully, hopefully, this episode feels like a hug and feels like we are with you and we are grappling and wrestling with you, and hopefully there are some touchstones that feel like 
little rafts that you can get on when you're feeling overwhelmed by it all. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Victoria.